Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims. Killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them, and that he was also a necrophiliac. <laughs> You are now listening to Grinding True Crimes with your hosts, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gab. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome into another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with our narrator for today, Todd Fox, and our other host of the show, Gabby Gabby. And we are back here live breaking down another true crime episode but before we get into all the good stuff and the, and the stories we gotta let you guys know where you can find us you can find us on facebook instagram type in grinding true crime podcast and there you can find follow our page and listen to uh, some of our previous shows we've done as well as iHeartRadio, spotify itunes you can listen to us on there just type in the grinding true crime podcast so that all kicked out of the way let's get into the show and let's let Todd take it take us to where we want to go what we got today Todd well this one is a bit of a um not not a true crime favorite Uh, this is one of those ones that got lost in the shuffle because of the time period it was in um we're gonna fast forward from last week's episode uh from the from the 20s (laughs) And we're going to be back in the same era that you were in in your story a couple weeks ago, and that's in the 80s, uh, late 70s, early 80s. Um, This one's called The Couples That Kill Together, Stay Together. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. These are... Are they another November 9th? No, no November 9th. Okay. (laughs) But these are a couple of natural-born killers. Um. So in the late 1970s and 80s, there were a rash of serial killers up and down the West Coast of America due to the lack of communication between police agencies. Um, Not that good of, uh, well, actually no DNA at the time or the forensic science wasn't as uh, good as it was in the mid to late 80s. So everyone knows of the mainstream serial killers like your Ted Bundy's, your Golden State killers now that we know of. And uh, the night stalkers of the world at that time. But this has to do with a couple. Um, so this, this takes place in June 1980 in Curry County, Oregon, located along the southernmost tip of Oregon's coast, west coast, and the nor- and close to the northern tip of uh, California. Uh, okay. It's a beautiful coastal community and it has good weather, a lot of tourism. And just small, at the time, minimal crime, just uh, valuables, things like that stolen. Homicides were, like, non-existent. Um, So Linda Linda Aguilar, 
who our first person we're going to talk about, lived in the community at the time, and she was an outgoing 21-year-old mother and a mother-to-be. Um, her boyfriend was a commercial fisherman. She did not own a car, and on uh, the 7th of June, she decided to, unfortunately, hitch a ride into town for a doctor's appointment. So she has a, a little three-year-old or so, and he's staying with the, the mother. And she's about six months pregnant. And uh, at the time, um, this was after, you know, the whole hitchhiking phenomenon was popular from Woodstock onward till the mid-80s almost. And, but, but by the time that late 70s and 80s were coming on, parents were starting to tell their kids, hey, stop, stop. Uh, hitchhiking it's just not safe mm -hmm. um but she did not take this warning um her mother did not know she was going to hitchhike that day and uh she made the appointment she did get the ride to the appointment um the problem is after 6 p.m the husband had picked up the child or the husband the boyfriend from the mother's house went home and his, and his girlfriend was not there and he got off work at four. So he figured maybe she stepped out. Um, it was six o'clock and he began to call families and friends and just try to see if anyone had seen her. Everyone said the same thing. The people that did talk to her, she was going to the appointment for the baby and then she'd come back home. Um, so nine o'clock comes by, still no results. No, no one's seen her. He's gone out driving around because he has the only car. <clears throat> nothing yeah, so I'm freaking out by that time too right and she's pregnant too I mean geez um being that she was pregnant um once he contacted the police usually they like they like to tell you if she you know if it's a woman or wife or girlfriend wait 24 hours and if she doesn't come home you know she could be with another guy they throw out all the scenarios you know what I mean they try to like yes. down downplay it yeah but since she was pregnant had no car police did the right thing and they went full on out looking for her uh, they filed a missing persons report right away um, but there was no sign of her uh, they actually put a statewide be on the lookout for her as well um, so they were doing the best they possibly could back then um, the next day though <clears throat> as it made the local news a man came forward after seeing a report of a missing woman he would tell the police that he was driving down this one road not too far from where Linda Aguilar lived and where the um, the office was for her appointment. And he saw a woman in a yellow dress, the dress that she was wearing that day, um, at a light, getting into a brown van and the van pulling off of the road. He, um, he did not see a license plate, though. So when the police asked him, and... At this point, the police unfortunately figured it was there was some sort of foul play. So, who do you think they look after, um, or or who do you think becomes the first suspect? Her husband. Her husband. Mm-hmm. Well, the boyfriend. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the boyfriend. Absolutely, you guys are right. Um, right away, they go after the boyfriend, and they start accusing him of maybe being not in the right mood to be a father again and saying they had a dispute over the newborn on its way and he did away with her um 
Yes. So while the boyfriend was in pain, missing his girlfriend and soon-to-be child, <clears throat> the police kept interrogating him and asking him what did he do? Um, was he seeing another woman? They started asking all his friends, his family, just getting into yeah. yeah. Um, his family and her family began to plead to the media for help in finding her, but the boyfriend was already being smudged in the media as well that a lot of people assumed that they had the right man. Um, he tried to go back to work because the police could not hold him on, um, what he caught on charges or whatever. And he was a commercial fisherman. So he went back out and he, I mean, it sounded like he had an alibi anyway. He was off the coast. He wasn't around when she, when she left to the appointment. Um, so unfortunately as the media and everyone's still focusing on him and the police are as well, two weeks pass, still no sign of her. Um, a German couple on vacation were walking their dog in a picturesque uh, part of the beach in Curry County when the dog ran off and they followed the dog and he was digging in the sand and picture this they go to get their dog by the leash because he broke away from them he's digging in the sand because there is a human foot and thigh now present sticking out of the sand what? yeah um, yeah, as, as they approached, they saw that and they smelled the smell of rotting flesh. Um, they discovered the body called the police and the police began to do a very slow dig out because of not wanting to mess up the, the evidence or anything. And they discovered it was a female lying on her stomach with her hands and, and, uh, feet bound <clears throat> and in this nylon type of rope that was fisherman's type rope it, yeah and it was um so she had two particular fisherman type knots and rope tying her up and she was lying on her stomach um when they removed her or rolled her over they saw that she was pregnant and um then they were able to confirm her identity and the dress that she was wearing also matched and get this though this is the saddest part. At the autopsy, they discovered she had been beaten severely in the head. And and they thought that she died because of the beatings to the head, the blunt force trauma. But they actually found a good amount of sand in her lungs, suggesting she was buried alive. Oh. Yep. So, yeah. So at this time, are you the police... You're going to look back at the, the boyfriend? At this time, I'm raising an eyebrow. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's a fisherman. They were the fisherman knot that they she was bound to. I'm raising an eyebrow. Now I'm, I'm questioning, hey, uh, you know, what's your connection to this? I'm not necessarily saying he did it, but I, I am raising an eyebrow to him. True. What about you, Gabby? Uh, yeah, I would consider definitely uh, look more into him. He would probably definitely stay as my prime suspect, but 
given the fact that he was at work and she was on her own, I wouldn't necessarily be pointing the finger at him for sure yet. That's true. That's true. And and see. Maybe. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm saying he could. He could have been set up. Yeah, I was about to say somebody could have set him up. You know. And see. And see, that's brilliant by you guys because nowhere in the files did they suspect a friend or someone suspecting to set him up. And instead, even though he had almost an airtight alibi, the knots in the nylon rope were scrutinized by forensic uh, scientists. They went to his job to see if those ropes matched any ropes that he could get his hands on at work. They even went to his house, his parents' house, and her parents' house looking for rope that would match the rope that she was tied in. Dang. Yeah, they they went hardcore on him. But in the end, they found nothing. Like, no ropes that matched. It was different nylon rope completely. So, um, so for the moment, the boyfriend was in the clear. <clears throat> and his alibi was was solid too confirmed by his workers his boss that he was on the ship at the time that there's like no way he could have made it off the ship and then abducted her he even took a polygraph three times and he passed every time so wow. finally a month after her abduction he was eliminated as a suspect so he had to put up with a whole month of that crap like a whole month yep you're over here grieving and people are yeah, they were basically at the funeral watching him. Wow. Yeah. Did he sue him? <laughs> no, there's unfortunately you can't do nothing like that. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean. Because they have to investigate, and he's trying to get justice for his wife. He can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. That's true. All he can do is just try to clear his name. Um. So at this time, the witness that had seen the van was brought in under hypnosis. And he was able to recall, under hypnosis, a dark-complected man that was driving the van with a smaller person in the front seat. So at this time, they're thinking it's like a child. <clears throat> but again, the, the, they tried and tried to get him under hypnosis to recall a license plate number. And he just couldn't do it. So, and that's pretty crazy. Right? That is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, so after a couple of weeks after that, the case went completely cold. There was no clues, no nothing that came out. Um, but the van in question was not in the area anymore. It was now in Northern California, in Sacramento, a good 400 miles south of Curry County, Oregon. And also, it's the state's capital of California, Sacramento. Mm-hmm. At this time, the Golden State Killer, this is where he comes in, had moved just south of Sacramento in 1980. The, as you remember from a few cases ago, in 1979, all those rapes and crazy um, things that were happening in the East Area, which he was called the East Area Rapist at the time, had just stopped after the final um, encounter. He went south. So, th- yeah, that same county. And it's, it's really crazy because that same county had just was getting over the fact that, you know, serial killer had stopped or the serial rapist had stopped. And now this pops up because in that same area where he had struck, a local bartender by the name of Vir- Virginia Moko 
had been um, aware of the East Area Rapist from the last year and a few months earlier. And every night at 2.30, she had two regulars in her bar that would walk her to her car and make sure she got in her car and left the, the restaurant. And she would do this every night. But as so happened to happen, what so happens to happen in these stories is just one irregularity causes a big um, problem. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so Virginia had two, two uh, small children at the time, and she left them with her mom and her sister to watch. July 16, 1980, she left for work. The night went as usual, mostly regulars and a few unknowns as she was getting ready to close up for the night at the bar. But like I said, the, the one uh, uh, thing that didn't go as usual was the fact that for some reason tonight, that very night, she was behind on cleaning. And the two gentlemen again did their routine thing of saying, hey, we're going to walk you, Virginia, out to your car. She told them, no, I'm behind and I need to do a little extra cleanup. It's going to take me another 30 minutes. You boys go on home. I'll see you tomorrow night. That was the last time they saw her. Dang. Yeah. That morning, now she's supposed to be home around 3.30 a.m. She clocked out at 3 a.m. And in her the drive maybe takes 20, 25 minutes to get to her house. That morning, her mom and sister began to worry when they woke up in the morning to get the kids up. They thought they would see their uh, her sister in bed with the kids. She wasn't there. Um, no clues. The again, they start calling uh, people. No one, no one had seen her. The sister then drove to the bar around 9 a.m., where she saw her car with her purse inside the driver's side of the car, the door still cocked open, and the keys on the ground. Uh, yeah, police were notified and they showed up to the bar um, to find those things in the same. Uh, situations uh the police then went to the hospitals and the morgues and checked made sure that there was no accident that they weren't aware of but she wasn't to be found there either so a missing persons uh file was 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 filed with the local police so um the police focused in on the patrons who weren't regulars at the bar that night so they had already talked to the regulars and they ruled them out among them were two guys who had a long day of fishing at the lake and came there late to have a few brewskis before they left. Then there was a traveling businessman that creeped out a few of the waitresses. They kind of looked at him kind of hard. And then there was a loud couple from Sacramento. And they talked to them as well. As, as the police spoke to all three groups, all sounded credible and non-suspicious re regarding the case. So as the days passed, there was no sign of the mother or of two and her son would ask his aunt and grandma to look for his mom wow. right so what do you guys think happens now another body you Matt I'm going to say yeah another body pops up and probably another female you are both correct a week later Two fishermen, five miles outside of town, found the naked body of Virginia bound the same way on her stomach, but instead of 
rope, it was fishing line. In just two months, you had two murders done in similar ways and with no leads on the West Coast. And you had the one, um, you know, you had the, the one up north and this one. And with police agencies not really communicating with one another, these two wouldn't be tied together for quite some time. Um, Get someone and that's how dumb police were. Yeah. Wait, wait till you see what happens later. Oh man! <laughs> we have we have a uh, we have bungling idiot cops and detectives again. So <laughs> that one day she didn't have somebody walk to her car. Dang. Isn't that sad? Yeah. I mean, just the freaking the the luck of the whole thing. You know what I mean? I think you're assuming correct. So, Mary Beth Sowers and Craig Miller lived just two miles from where the last victim, Virginia, was abducted, just outside of Sacramento. Mm -hmm. Mary Beth was 21 years old, and Chris was 22 years old, and they were engaged to be married, and they were attending the same college that the Golden State Killer did just five years prior, Sacramento State College. Wow. So they were in the same... What's that? It should be labeled as the Crazy's College. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, oh, man. They were a, a loved and popular couple. On November 1st, 1980, however, the two attended a fraternity party at a local club. By 1.30 a.m., the two called it quits, said goodnight to their friends, and, said, and made their way out of the, uh, out of the uh, club to the parking lot. As they got to their car, however, a blue car, a blue colored sedan pulled up like a, like a cop out of nowhere. And a man got out with a gun and he forced him into the car. Now, as the scuffle was ensuing and the argument got a little loud with a gun, um, a fraternity brother came out, one of Chris's friends, and he ran outside because he was he was already smoking outside, but he ran outside to the parking lot. And was like, hey, man, what the hell? And and he's trying to, like, confront the people in the car. He said a woman, um, as he tried to intervene, a woman looked over at him and said, back off. And she sped off driving with a, with a two in the back seat. And, the, and they're a guy. So he saw four people in the car. Um, he called the cops right away. The, the, the police came down, and he had... What do you think he had with him with his statement to the police? He had a description of, of exactly what they looked like. Oh, and he also mentioned the brown car. Well, he mentioned the car. He didn't mention the description. He didn't get a good look. It was dark out. But he gave him something very important. Please. No. Give up. The license plate number. Yeah, he actually he actually had enough uh, intuition to look at the license plate number as the car drove off. Smart man. Yep. So when police arrived, they found Chris. Um, you know, uh, they found Chris's glasses on the floor next to the driver's side of of, of their own car, the uh, boyfriend, mm -hmm. and the uh, car keys on the floor. Mary's purse. And um, 
um, one of her heels on the passenger side of the vehicle of their car. So they were pulled from their car and thrown into the abductor's car. So police knew at this time they had a kidnapping at least up to this point. So the police followed the plate number or followed up on the plate number in their records and it came out to a California license plate 240ROV. Uh, the police records showed the car was registered to a 24-year-old local resident by the name of Charlene Williams. Charlene Williams was a pretty blonde, spoiled woman still living at home in a wealthy neighborhood because her mom was a high-priced lawyer and her dad owned five grocery stores in the Northern California area. Well, dang. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, when police arrived to their home, to interview her thinking the car was stolen um, she claimed she had no knowledge of anything they could not find the car on the on the um, what do you call it uh, the, in, the, in, the, in the area yeah or in the um, they didn't see a car matching that description because uh, it was a pretty big house um, so she had no she, she claimed she had no idea of the couple or hearing of a couple being abducted she said that she was out with her boyfriend to eat that night and was back home and then her parents could collaborate her story uh, the detectives however uh, would believe her for a second and then they walked out where the um, the garage was and they saw it half cocked open with a car underneath with a car inside the garage with a tarp over it um, the description of the car that that Chris's frat brother gave they noticed the rims matched, so the cop went underneath the garage door, took off the, um, what do you call it, the, the cover, and he noticed that the car also had the matching sheepskin covers, seat covers, that, that Chris's friend had described, and it was a blue color as well. And the license plate number matched what Chris's frat brother said. So at this point, um, the police then return to the um, to the house, and they want to talk with Charlene, and they talk with her for two hours. And what do you think happens? They let her go. Gabby. Yeah, she's a pretty little rich girl. She's gonna convince them that she doesn't know anything, and they're gonna think, "Oh, poor innocent girl. Maybe somebody took the car and returned it. It wasn't her." You know what? You guys are dead on. <laughs> so, so I mean, I don't even have to tell that part of the story. You guys nailed it. <laughs> they they basically decided, like you guys said, her story and alibi was good enough. They're all like, oh, well, Johnson, sounds good to me. And uh, <laughs> they actually would write down in their notes that maybe the um, – that she was such a good, you know, had a good alibi and that she was so believable. And if you've seen pictures of her and she looked good for an early 1980s woman, like she looked like a, a nine back then. So the cops were probably smitten and they decided, oh, they said maybe the witness got the wrong plate number. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, everything else matched. It should have been a done deal, right? Done deal, Johnson. Like, take the car and, like, dust it for prints at least, right? 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, but but even if, with the description of what's inside the car, I mean, how could that be wrong? Check for hair, for the clothing of the people, like anything. Well, everyone has a blue car with with sheepskin, right? Yeah, you know that, that's that's very common. Freaking cop. <laughs> right? God. So. Unfortunately, just 10 hours after the detectives left Charlene's house, it's about sundown almost, right? 10 miles uh, north of where um, Charlene lives, actually. A father and son are playing baseball together. The father hits one over the fence. The son goes to jump the fence to retrieve the ball and saw a young man on on his stomach in the bushes. Um, he told his dad. His dad grabbed the son, called the police. Police arrived, and they were able to identify Craig Miller, the boyfriend. He was shot three times, twice in the head and once in the neck. Dang. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you're not seeing a pattern as far as, like, everything's the same. So, this is different. This is bullets, you know. Um, so, now the, the police shifted into overdrive. And they called in all kinds of agencies and friends and the public to help look through the forest areas, to drive around, to put up flyers, because she's still missing. You know, maybe there's a chance they could find her. And um, what do you call it? The, uh, they go back. The two detectives that made the bumbling error decided to go back to the house and re-interview her again. But guess what happened? She done moved out. Yep. She is magically gone. And so is the car. Wow. Yep. Idiot. Mm-hmm. I think they feel a little stupid by now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They they do. They do. And um, her parents are home, though. <clears throat> and they talk to the parents. And they find out that she's dating a guy named Steve. But the father says that's not his real name. His real name is Gerald Gallegos. And his car is sitting, yeah, Gallegos or Gallegos or something like that. (laughs) I'm trying. (laughs) So the thing was, when they they ran the license plate, they were able to confirm that it was Gallegos' car, but he had a record. So when he looked up his name, he had been, uh, he had also, he also, uh, he had a record for um, sexual abuse. And of a minor, he also had um, uh, phy- plenty of physical altercations and assaults to a couple women and also a couple bar patrons as he worked in a bar in a local restaurant in the Sacramento area. Um, yeah. And here's the thing, though. <clears throat> and like Gabby nailed it earlier, he was on record by the other police agency as being interviewed along with Charlene at that bar. They were the they were the loud couple at the bar. Wow. Yeah. They were just watching her. So yeah, that was their moment. That was their moment. So now they're thinking, okay, we've got serial we got serial killers because they you know, they at least killed the guy and now they could link her to Virginia's murder and now they gotta find the fiance and hope that she's still alive. So at least they're they're with two already. Mm-hmm. Um so moving ahead, uh, they did not know the couple had sold the van 
the weeks later. They didn't know about the van. The van had been sold <clears throat> that would have linked them to um, the first murder up in Oregon. So that one was not on the property. They weren't able to look that up. They, but that would come into play later. Um, the police would put a... Um, well, actually, the, the manhunt started and the media attention grew and the entire Bay Area and Sacramento area was put on notice to be on the lookout for the couple and also people were scared again because they just got over all the other crap that was going on up there now it's a, it's on with a manhunt the helicopters are back out um they put a phone tap on charlene's mom because they knew at some point they would run out of money and have to ask her for some money mm-hmm. so the two were on the run and charlene would call just two days later and they needed money and she told them that they were in Nevada, but she didn't mention the exact location, and the mom refused to give him money. So now that the F, the, that they had crossed um, state lines, the FBI became involved. So the FBI mm-hmm. threw all the major crimes stuff on them, and they wanted to nail these, these guys. Um, and they were still thinking that the woman was, was uh, with them, you know, that she was abducted. Mm-hmm. Um. A day later, they found Charlene's blue car abandoned in Reno, Nevada. Um, The FBI got reports now that they were in Utah. So the FBI just kept chasing them from state to state. Um, But on November 16, 1980 in Nebraska, the couple were desperate again and phoned the parents. Her mother begged her to give herself up. She refused. She says, we're going to stay on the run. We're going to eventually get to Canada. We're going to get out of here, blah, blah, blah. Um, the police and the FBI, uh, the next day observed, uh, or actually the, the mom actually set something up and she was the, the real reason why they caught this couple, at least at the time, the mother decided, exactly, but this time around she's smart and she sends the money to, on the telegram, which puts them at a location in Omaha, Nebraska. It's like one of those moneygrams. Mm-hmm. So now the now the FBI and the police know exactly where they're going to be. <clears throat> mm. So the police and the FBI the next day observed a car uh, pulling up a white car, and at right in front of the store, or actually in the back of the parking lot, they saw Gallegos uh, far away in the back of the parking lot, standing next to the car, um, as she walked from the far end of the parking lot into the store. As soon as she approached the teller, two plainclothes officers arrested her. And at the very same time, uh, police forces moved in along with SWAT team and they arrested Gallego that did not resist at all at his car. So the, the police were relieved that the couple were, were arrested, but shocked that it was a couple. They, they, they were shocked that how could these two people do it? Why would they do it? Was sex involved? The whole nine, right? Mm-hmm. So just days later, however... This would wrap up with the hunters in the neighboring town of Sacramento stumbling on a body of Mary Beth. When police arrived and they were called and notified, and then they arrived, they found her shot in the head three times with the same 25 caliber gun used in the other murder. Um, later in the week, however, the FBI and forensic officials were trying to link the couples without a shadow of doubt for all three murders. But the gun was nowhere to be found. But a tip came in from a waitress that worked with Gallegos. And she said that one night in the employee 
um, break room, one of their fellow uh, workers was asleep. And just to um, piss him off, she or he um, took out his gun and he shot it into or scare him. He shot it into the ceiling twice and it, it made the guy almost piss his pants. And everyone got, everyone got a laugh out of it, but she said the bullets were never removed from the ceiling. So following up on the tip, the two policemen came down there, grabbed the bullets from the wall, and they were sent to the forensic lab where they were matched um, with the bullets recovered from the bodies, and they were a perfect match. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. That, was, that was good policing, right? Yes. They made up for it a little bit. Yep, yep. So, that's the end of the story, right? You would think so. Well, they have three of the four murders attributed to the couple. And, you know, maybe the one gets away. You know, they, they don't solve that one. But here's where things take a turn. Um, as they were shown the evidence, both of them, and what was stacking up, it's approaching 1982 at this point. So, they've been incarcerated for about a year and a half. And the day of reckoning in the courts is coming up. Um, they started to turn on each other and started to accuse each other of the murders, saying one held the gun, shot the, the one, the other did the other. And they were all, they were just trying to like, you know, wipe their hands of everything. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but the heat rose on the both of them. When the judge or the prosecution in the state decided to throw the death penalty at both of them. So to avoid the death penalty, um, Charlene, she turned a state's witness. And um, she didn't want the, the, the death penalty. And uh, to avoid that, she, plead, she took the plea deal, right? And, he, and she, she would have to testify against him. Um, but the police and the public weren't ready for what she had to say. So she's gonna blurt out the first one. Yeah, but do you think it's just that? I think it's more. I think she she has more confessions. She's gonna blurt out several other killings. She's gonna say that he scared her to death, so she did what he told her, or he had kidnapped her too. Well. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let you guys hold on to that because I'll you'll see if you're right or wrong because now you know what? I'm gonna say you're both right <laughs> you're both right all right so so she said uh, when she talked to the uh, police and she started to shock them right away that Gallegos uh, after they met just a couple weeks after they started dating in 1975 that he wanted to have sexual fantasies come to life. He purchased a van, and he, he put a bed in the back, and also chains. He said his sexual fantasy was to get and abduct young women as sex slaves, and for her to watch or participate. Um, so, it was the same van that they abducted Linda Aguilar in. She was, mm. that, that was sexually uh, assaulted and buried alive. When she told the police about Linda Aguilar and the van matched up, she starts saying stuff that only the police up north knew about. So when they contacted Oregon, Oregon was blown away. That, that case had been dead for years. And they realized, holy crap, we have the murder. You know, like, 
we can attribute that murder to them. <clears throat> so when she laid out everything what happened with Linda Aguilar, um, the police thought, all right, that's it. We're done. Um, but that, but how, but Linda, Charlene said was not their first victim. Um, Gallegos's fa fantasy actually first took place in 1978 where Charlene was used as um, a pretty young girl to solicit girls for Gallegos. In 1978, they went to a mall and asked two, and, or she went to the mall inside and asked two teenage girls who were just hanging out if they wanted to smoke weed with her. They were both only 16 and 17 years old. The girls trusted her because she looked harmless. They followed her to the van where as soon as they got to the van, Gallegos pulled a handgun, forced him into the back, chained him up. They drove into the country where he sexually assaulted both of them. And when he was finally done, he told Charlene, according to her, to stay into the van and he walked them into the forest. Fifteen minutes went by as she stayed in the van and he came back by himself. In 1979, a couple were picked up 13 and 14-year-old girls at a county fair. Oh, sickos. Yep. Where they were raped and murdered shortly after. Then five months, wow. then five months later, two 16-year-old high school friends were hanging out at the river when they were abducted and their bodies were found bludgeoned near uh near the sacramento river just three days later wow it's only then that the four other murders took place when the other police agencies followed up on the cases that had been cold for a year or two and they knew about the uh, uh they asked the police that were holding charlene all the details she even gave them details of like one of the girls had a pimply face and red hair nailed it she said one of them had a scar on her back nailed it she knew stuff that only the murderers would know she knew about the wow. weapons that were used um hey, she really turned on him then. yes but the police were like she's involved you know she she knew yeah. too much and you know seeing the skin def you know either perfections or imperfections she had to be present for the murders as well. Yeah. So um, the prosecution had no choice but to throw him under the bus right away and to use the strongest murders that they had, which was the bullet, the bullet confirmation. I mean, her stuff was rock solid, but the two that would bring the capital murder was the gun case on the couple. So all the evidence was used against him. Charlene took the, te uh, the stand and testified against all 10 murders. The uh, Gallegos was found guilty and sentenced to uh, death by gas chamber. Now, now, here's the thing as we wrap up this story. <sighs> Two things are going to make you mad. I hate to do this. I hate to do this. Now, I love Gabby's, like her death penalty because that'd be a death penalty to any guy even if he's living with a heartbeat but castration <laughs> and mutilation <laughs> that's a death sentence right there that's a death sentence right there even if I'm alive yeah I mean I would have did that and left him alive you know because he's a sexual predator too right mm -hmm. 
Um, problem is, California is very slow at murdering death row inmates. Yes. Yes. So, huh? Have to do with Newsom? No, this was do this was before Newsom, like because you know Charles Manson and guys like that. The Night Stalker even died on death row. Both of them died of like natural causes or cancer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this guy was the same thing. Um, wow. He got the easy way out. No, unfortunately, he served only 19 years in prison, and he died in 2001 because he succumbed to cancer. Wow. So he never faced the the gas chamber like he should have, and I doubt they would have gave it to him anyway. Um, so he got the easy way out. Um, the second one, and this is going to piss you off a little more. Um, she got away. She's currently out right now. What? She only was given, thanks to a plea deal, the absolute maximum and minimum of 16 years. Yes. Well, I the here's the thing, which is kind of scary, or at least that I've looked. I looked. Look, when I did this story, I looked everywhere online to see if anyone knew where this woman is residing, and it's like she went into witness protection program because. She got out in 1998. And, yeah, she's been free ever since. She's off the radar. In 1998? In 1998, dude. That is not 22 years. 22 years, and you participated in the death and murder and the murder and rapes of 10 women. Or at least 10 people, and you killed a guy as well. I mean, you know she had something to do with it because she was on the run with him and she was asking her mom for money. Mm-hmm. She was a willing participant all the way. But the state somehow said, okay, well, you part, you, you may have done these dastardly things, but we have the bullet that's his gun. It's um, We wouldn't have solved these other murders, these other seven murders, if it wasn't for you. So they kind of like shook her hand and cuffed her at the same time type of deal. Like, you're going to pay for this, but not as much. And you're going to get out. Look, why would they put her like on a witness protection though? He's dead. It's not like he's going to go after her. Yeah, but the other, the other victim's family. Yeah, she deserves that. Look. That's what you get for doing stupid things. You can't just do things and then get hidden and run away and people protect you nobody protected them like no i agree that's what and and you know what you hit the nail on the head gabby and that's why i'm upset with this one too because she's out there living her lives and she helped snuff out teenager lives that never got to their peak and 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 basically she did her time so (sighs) that's crazy you know wow that's the case, man. Dang, man. I don't wish death on nobody, but hopefully, man, she paid back for her, her error. I'm just hoping she never had kids. Because when she got out, she was, um, let's see, 16. She was 40. So, so think about that. She got out, and she's 40. 
and now she's about, let's see, 22 years later. She's 62 years old now. So she's living the second half of her life. Like, pretty much she can say I'm guilt-free. I've served my time. You know what? And nobody has to know who the hell she is. Exactly. She could just be a nice grandmother in town somewhere. No one knows her past. She could be a brother or sister. You know what I'm saying? Like, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but that's crazy, though. Yep. Jesus. How can people feel that they have the freedom to continue living life as if nothing after they took so many people's lives, took them from their family, from their children? Mm-hmm. Knowing you're guilty, especially with the pregnant woman. She had a baby. It yep. wasn't just her. Yep. And those other kids, I mean, it's just it's just god awful, you know what I mean? Like the the the, the... The fact that she has to live with that guilt for the rest of her life, that might eat her away, no matter where she is. That's still not punishment enough. I know, but think about that. You know, she has to live with that for the rest of her life. Well, okay, come on, babe. She ain't living with that. She doesn't have no guilt. Otherwise, she wouldn't have covered it up. She wouldn't have lied. She wouldn't have gone with him but throughout all those years doing that. She has no conscience, no heart, no regret, nothing. She's just trying to make herself be free. No, and dig him in a deeper hole so that she doesn't have to go the same route. I got you. But let's just say she turned her life around. Let's, for the sake of argument, let's just say she, she became like a pastor or something. Or something, you know, something, something to where she, you know, like like Martha Stewart or something. Martha Stewart. The fact that she has that, <laughs> the fact that she has that on her heart for the rest of her life, that should eat her away. I mean. A person who is capable of doing that for so long is very twisted. That person cannot change. I'm sorry, but no. Hey, hey, that sucks though. It, she should have been in jail longer than 16 years. Yeah, you know what? I have to agree with Gabby on this one too. I can see Matt's point, but like, as far as Gabby's concerned, like, with the way that these people were snuffed out, you know more. You have to live with it, but it's not fair. She gets to move on, and um, yeah, and pretty much like. Her family doesn't know where she's at. Where her mom and dad are obviously passed away by now. Um, she didn't inherit their um, wealth, which was good. Um, but the fact that you know, um, just it wasn't a spree killing. Like it wasn't like something that took place over three weeks. It wasn't drug induced. Like Gabby said, she knew what she was doing. This took a two over two years. Um. That's what's what's hard to believe. Like, I would have tried to give her life at least, you know what I mean? Like, just be like, okay, well, you helped us out. You're not getting the death penalty. We'll give you life. I really thought that was going to happen. I did, so I did, I did think that too. I ain't going to lie. I did think that too. I thought the CD would be like, all right, we won't kill you, but you're spending your life in prison. Even 50 years in prison would have been, I'm okay with Mm-hmm. Yeah, because here, here's the thing what Matt said right there, too. Um, in Canada, their laws are... And this is not Canada's story, but if you were to get a life sentence in Canada, it's maximum 25 years. So you can kill like two people and get 25 years. They don't stack it. It's not like here where they say, okay, you get 900 years plus five or something. Like you can kill a couple people and get out in Canada. So why why are we so lenient on this case? And I know she helped state's evidence or whatever and i know she helped solve a few other cases but she participated you know she, she, she should have got life 
They were smitten by her looks even then. It must have got her out of that too, or she had a hell of a lawyer. Well, she had money. Yep. Yeah, the parents had the money. The parents had money. Mm hmm. Now, if she had Johnny Cochran, I can understand how that. <laughs> Yep. I'm sorry to bring you guys down, man, but this is a story that brought me down the other day when I researched it. I was like, dude, yeah, that sucks. That one sucks, man. Especially for the young girls who, who like you said, didn't even get a chance in life. You know, 16, 13, 14, the pregnant woman, the little baby didn't even get a chance. Like, and then possibly buried alive, too. Mm-hmm. Well, she was. Yeah. Oh, I'm quite sure. Mm -hmm. But with her, it's like, uh, it makes sense. If you were so messed up in a moment that you could do something so stupid, or you're that scared of somebody that you're going to lie and, and continue to help them, if that was the case, which I doubt, um, still, like, even knowing after everything that you did, like, how can you live with yourself? I, if I did it out of fear and that was my story, I could not live with my I think the only thing. I think the least thing I could do is get myself off the planet. Yeah. To give people some type of closure and relief, knowing that I'm gone. I just hope for her sake, personally, that she has nightmares and she has violent oh, nightmares. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I agree. And I'm. That I do agree. Yeah, and I'm hoping that she has one of these violent nightmares one of these days with her age, that it just causes her to have a heart attack or something, and she becomes a vegetable. I think that's the only way you can justify something. I know it sounds bad, but dude, I mean, with what it's she did, cool, man. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that'd be the only thing I could think of. Mm-hmm. And nobody control her. That's the sucky thing. Like, like in some of these murder cases, um, people are so involved with true crime that they will go online and they and they will troll. They will find out where a person lives. They will. Um, send them letters or, or just haunt them if they know that there's someone that's uh, a murderer that got out or something and, and there's there's almost like a, um, a web justice and in this case there can't be um, you'd love there to be but nobody knows where she's at I mean she could have a completely different name well she probably yeah, does she's definitely under witness protection yeah so to the families of the ones they don't have to explain it they they got them under witness protection no what i'm saying is like how can you be a participant in that knowing these people lost their family members they have horrific deaths how can you be okay protecting someone like that yeah i don't know i'm sorry to piss you guys off <laughs> <laughs> i bet you done did huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's the story, well, guys. That was our story of the crazy couple. Yep. Who, who really didn't get what they deserved. Nope. And if so. 
you have to look long and hard literally to find these two on the web. They are not mentioned as prominent serial killers or uh, outrageous cases. So unless you look specifically under California, if you type in serial killers in general in America, they do not pop up anywhere close to the top, which is weird, but they don't. That's crazy, man. Yep. That's crazy. Well, that was our show, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you enjoy it, and we're quite sure you're probably pissed off just as much as Gabby and Dot is. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you want to hear more good stories like that, you know what to do. Follow us on our Instagram and Facebook page. Look us up under Grinding True Crime Podcast. You can also listen to us while you're driving on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, and all those good stuff. Just type in Grinding True Crime Podcast. Shout out to everyone who follows us listens to us even around the country we appreciate all the love and support you give to us we really do with all that being said this is your boy your host of the show Matty Matt along with the narrator of today's show Todd Fox and the other host of the show Gabby Gabby and we are signing off we are out of here Doodle. peace <laughs>